Hello everyone and welcome to another edition of No Wrestling. It's us as always, your boys, Mark Sylvester and Richie Fuma. Hey, how are we doing Mark? How the devil are you my friend? I am good my man, how the devil are you kind sir? I am absolutely stoked, we are starting our new podcast series today and it's, uh, oh man it's, it's awesome. Go on Mark, I'll let you announce this. Uh, we are going to be doing WCW, The Good, The Bad and The Bischoff. where we'll be looking at uh, the first Nitro going all the way to the final Nitro back in 2001, uh, where we look at all the pay-per-views. And what we're going to be doing as well, we're going to be looking at Pacific Nitro episodes like when Goldberg won the championship and the reset of Nitro, I believe in April 2000, when Bischoff and Ruto came out, reset everything, got rid of all the champions, made vacant the champion again. As I think this was his second or third reign at the time. Uh, he's been the champion many times. Yeah. And so we're going to be looking, we'll be looking at that. And today we're going to be starting off with the first Nitro. Yeah, man, I, I said, this is going to be awesome. Like, we always talk about the history of the winners. And, you know, there's so many podcasts about the WWE or the WWF, you know, the Attitude Era and all this kind of stuff. So we was having a discussion and Mark looked at me. He said, Richard, and I said, yes, Mark. He said, we need to do something new and fresh. I said, Mark, I hear you, brother. And that's when we decided as two single pure wrestling fans, let's talk about the losers. Let's be the jobbers. Let's talk about... The pay-per-views of WCW. Man, we are absolutely stoked. This is going to be fresh, new, and something different. And, uh, yeah, like Mark said, all the pay-per-views uh, from WCW in that particular era, man, this is going to be awesome. It is. And so we thought, as it's the first episode, we wanted to do a brief history of WCW. Um, I wasn't sure, Richie, if you want to start some of this, then I can add some bits as well. I've got about... Three pages worth of notes just about WCW up to this point. Cool. I mean, yeah, I mean, I've I done a bit of a history into WCW. And the good thing is I'm a pure WWE guy when I was a youngster. That's all on you. So this is all quite good for me because it's like a, it's a it's quite educational, you mm. know. <laughs> and um, so I looked into um, WCW and how Nitro kind of started. And, you know, allegedly there was a meeting between uh, Ted Turner, who runs the TNT network and Eric Bischoff. Eric Bischoff, you know, kind of had this meeting and Ted Turner said, what should we do? We need something new, we need something fresh. And Bischoff, off the cuff, had to say something as a young executive and he said, we need to run a show midweek. So they already had Saturday night, night, you know, the Saturday primetime show. Mm. Ted Turner gave him the green light and, you know, Eric Bischoff thought, Christ, what do we do? And that was kind of the birth of WCW Nitro, you know. Yeah. Um, uh, it was as simple as that. Apparently, he walked out of that meeting thinking, my God, I've just had a promotion. I'm now going to be running a, a show on TNT, prime time, competing 
with WWF Raw. Um, and he said, you know, we can't we can't copy Raw. He said WWF has already got a loyal fan base. It's um, it's established. It's been you know a family name for years. They needed to do something different, and um, they wanted to step away from the cartoony kind of you know theatrical kind of family friendly wrestling, but keep the whole NWA kind of old school Crockett Promotions kind of vibe, and they kind of just went from there. That's the way I saw. I saw the start of it. Yeah, man, definitely. I agree with you. And you've also got other histories of WCW as well, where it was um, affiliated with the NWA for a lot lot, lot of its run, like beginning up to Ted Turner uh, bought it in 1989, I think it was. Uh, It was all partnered with um, NWA for so many years. And then they ended up bringing Jim Hurd, who ended up driving away a lot of the talent and making... Because did you know at the time, Jim Hurd wanted to make Ric Flair into a guy called Spartacus and change him up and stuff. And yeah, so many people hated him. Uh, And then he left. And then um, with Ric Flair gone, um, Bill Watts came in. And basically for the matches, he had it where no one could go um, over the top rope or no one could uh, do a move from the top rope. And if they do, they get DQ'd. Yeah, because that's an old NWA ruling, isn't it? Because I remember that yeah. in um, sort of like WWF in the 98 when they kind of done this cross-promotion with Jim Cornette. Um, and it was a tag match between the, the Headbangers and, at the time, I think it was the Midnight Express. Um, I believe it was the Midnight Express or the Rock and Roll. It, might, it would have been Midnight. It would have been the Rock and Roll. And the Headbangers done an over-the-top sort of Asai moonsault and actually got disqualified. And it just didn't work. But that's how I actually learned about the over-the-top rope disqualifications in WWA. So no, that's interesting. Yeah. And cool. then in 93, Eric Bischoff came in to run the show. And then he got in uh, people like Hulk Hogan and all of Hulk Hogan's friends. And then, yeah, he had the meeting with um, Ted Turner. And they created the first night show, which is uh, this night on the 4th of September 1995. To start yeah. the Monday Night War. Oh, yep. uh, going back, it was 89 he bought WCW. It was 88 he bought WCW, not 89. 88. So I, I was born in 87, so that would have been, yeah, about 35 years ago. Yeah, because the reason he bought it is because Jim Crockett Promotions couldn't run it anymore because at the time, Vincent Mann, because it was at the same time the Survivor Series was with Starcade, and Vincent Mann said to the pay-per-view companies, if you run this, if you run Starcade, you're never having any of my pay-per-views anymore. And because obviously WF at the time was mega over, it was people were buying all the pay-per-views. They went against it. And then because he was running out of money, he ended up selling it to Ted Turner, which is when Ted Turner came in with the Jim Hurds, to Bill Watts again, and then Bischoff. And then you got now on TNT, the first Nitro. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's really back against the wall, isn't it? I mean, when Vince McMahon is in charge of kind of like the TV networks and he's saying, if you show my competitors, you're not going to have any of my business. I mean, in current affairs, he'd done the same with Madison Square Garden. And then Ring of Honor sold it out. You know, yeah. Madison Square Garden said, you can't be a corporate bully. How times have changed. But um, it's just good bit. It's, you can obviously, it's good business practice or evil business practice. It's Vince McMahon. He was notorious. Yeah, but, I mean, uh, he drove out and made wrestling from a territory thing to a national and an international thing. Yeah, into a worldwide phenomenon, you know. And I'm surprised Disney don't own the WWE yet. You know, it's. Uh, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they end up buying it. To be honest. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm not being funny. 
If Disney buy WWE, I think uh, AEW are going to have an absolute field trip calling it the Disney Channel. Joyce, we know, man. I mean, with Disney buying them out, um, it might add a lot of like momentum back into it. I mean, I know some people didn't like episode eight and nine that much, but look how much money Star Wars has made, the Marvel films. Now all these Fox different films, you know. Yeah. It's smart business. Disney Disney make their money back. And I think Vince would only ever sell, I think, to them or someone else with the amount of money. Um, I think he will be bought up for a couple of billion, but yeah, it would be interesting to see if it happens, though. Yeah, it would be interesting. But anyway, I mean, we're not here to talk about the WF, we're here to talk about the WCW. From the land of 10,000 lakes, Minneapolis, Minnesota, the mall of America, the only building big enough to hold the debut edition of WCW Monday Nitro. We are coming to you live here on TNT. Hello, everybody. So, September 4th, 95, Minnesota at the Hall of America, which at the time, but it still is, it's a big shopping centre. The reason they ran this show, Mark, was because, Mm -hmm. um, obviously, Nitro had just started, and it had been advertised on Saturday night shows they've been doing, Saturday night, what did they call it? Saturday Uh, night. Just just Saturday night. Saturday night. It was on um, 6.05 on TSM, which was the big wrestling show, even when it was Jim Cooker Promotions and... GCW at the time as well when uh, the Briscoe brothers owned it and then Jim Crockett bought it and stuff. So yeah. Oh, there you go. So that was it. That was um, there was at the uh, Hall of America at Minnesota. The reason they ran the show there is because at the time they didn't have that big a following because of what you just said about WWF being like the capitalist. The WCW ran this place at the shopping center. There was no ticket ticket admissions. You just turned up. People loved wrestling. It's a it's a hotbed for wrestling. Hey, there's a free wrestling show. You're going to have Sting. You're going to have Ric Flair. You know, you're going to have Brian Pillman, Justin Thunderliger. Like, everyone who's a wrestling fan is going to turn up. It's free, you know, and it looked mm. absolutely packed. It looked stunning, you know, and it wasn't even promoted that much. Apparently, it was just promoted on Saturday night show about two weeks before, uh, and it was kind of done with a Harley Davidson advert for a motorbike competition. Yeah, it was, yes. Winner would be announced on the first ever edition of Monday Nitro, live from Minnesota at the Met Hall of America. That's all they did. They didn't even really advertise it that heavy, but the show, one, we've discussed the bullet points today, but it, the show looked fantastic. Mm-hmm. Um, had a good good audience. It had a really, really big feel budget to it. 
Um, but they were smart. They were smart. They wanted to be different. They had Hogan. They, I think all the Ducks were lined up this, this particular night. Yeah, definitely, man. Um, also, as well, one of the things I loved about the, obviously, the aspect and the everything of the show is how different it looked. And like you saw one several shots throughout the show, fans going up the escalator and stuff. I thought that was really cool. This is so different and stuff. I loved yeah. it. Yeah, yeah, I did. I mean, the shopping centre, brilliant. I mean, it's, mm. it's brilliant, brilliant idea. Yeah, I know, uh, man, definitely. Yeah. Um, do you know why it was called Nitro? Uh, no, I did not know. Why was it called Nitro? It was nothing to do with Raw. It was to do with TNT. Oh, okay. TNT, Nitro, TNT, Dynamite. TNT explosion, TNT bang. You know, it's it's all to do with the TNT thing. It's nothing to do with anything else apart from the the, the station. That's why w, you know uh, AEW is called Dynamite on on Wednesday nights. Oh, okay, that's really that's really clever. That's really cool. Mm. Yeah, it's nothing to do with Raw or anything like that. It's literally because of the broadcast center TNT. That's amazing. Well, that's everyone cool. thought that everyone was copying. You know, AEW is copying T. Um, Monday Night Nitro when they first announced their show to be called Dynamite because Nitro and Dynamite it wasn't it's purely because they both copied the fact that it was from TNT yeah it was pretty fun yeah definitely man little fun fact for your uh, quizzes at Christmas time guys indeed uh, this show had uh, had an amazing intro with the amazing song which I was so sad they got rid of in 99 I love this awesome yeah it was so good man wasn't it yeah and they kept that running like you said to about 99 was it yeah yeah it was such a good intro the music i used to love that thing i still listen to it in the car i'm a bit i I do i do as well man i listen to it sometimes when i'm walking to work or walking home from work or just on a walk in general i'm like i'm gonna listen to the nacho theme today and just put it on yeah i love that nacho theme um and you've got all like the um there's basically the streets of like blowing up and the wrestlers are kind of like uh and the wetter in the building and stuff yeah, yeah it's awesome and the lights and the explosions and it again that had a big budget you know and when the show starts obviously you haven't got tony Schiavone on um the panel tonight you've actually got eric bischoff and he'd done that deliberately too because he wanted a different sound just for the first night mm-hmm. um apparently he didn't do it to be an egomaniac and this is my little shabumpkin it was purely because it was um he just wanted a different sound and you had bobby the heenan i mean you had steve mongo mcmichael i mean the guy's a botch machine he's got his own twitter page have you seen this yes i have yes yeah yeah it, it, check it out guys go on them um, twitter and type in steve mongo mcmichael or something like that and you'll find like this botch this is a whole twitter page dedicated to, to like retweeting botches by steve mcmichael anyway, <laughs> for some reason he's the commentator tonight with eric bischoff and the legend Bobby the Bobby Brain. Heenan. Yeah, definitely, yeah. man. Um, did, you, did you notice there's a smiling fan in the background? Just that weird, like the guy was just smiling continuously. I was like, he must be happy to be there. He reminded me a bit of the Michael, uh, the Mortal Kombat guy. Frosty! Yes, he was. Frosty! Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, we're at ringside. Uh, Eric Bischoff, Bobby the Brain Heenan, and the Botch Machine, Michael, uh, on the commentary team tonight. How did you feel about this? I actually I quite I like the commentary team. I I think you can definitely tell that Bobby Heenan was the best out of the three, but I think it worked because it made everything uh, seem important. And even though they were discussing like the Hogan match and stuff in the other two matches, they were still focusing on the match as well. It wasn't just a pure 
they were they were selling you something, but they also were focusing on the match as well. It wasn't like how in some wrestling nowadays they just focus on selling you an, another match or selling you something, completely ignoring the match that's going on in the ring. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally agree with that. I totally, totally agree with that. Um, Bobby the Brain Heathen's obviously always up to scratch. He's just an absolute Mickey taker, and they they take a few um, stabs at the WF. And you know you don't want to be anywhere else. This is the only live show with professional wrestling. Um, you won't see any cartoony stuff here. And their main slogan of the night, which kind of follows on throughout the whole of WCW, this is where the big boys play. Yes. And I thought that was. Um, I must admit, it must have been quite a breath of fresh air. Because, I mean, WWF, I mean, we talk about the matches and stuff, and later on you've got, like, the big boss man, you know. Apparently, he used to be a prison guard. You know, it was so... Bobby Brain was so funny throughout this show. Um, I, I, I love Bobby the Brain Heenan in general, because when we reviewed Battle of the Royal Albert Hall um, a while ago, uh, just his commentary then was just brilliant. It was just hilarious. Mm, you know, he's mm. just so good. Like, even though, even though he's a heel, he's so entertaining at what he does. He's just so good. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, rest in peace, buddy. Yeah, I know, rest in peace. So anyway, we get to the first night of tonight. I mean, we're not going to do a complete like review of the show. This is more of an opening into like the the you know the good, the bad, and the Bischoff. But um, we go through the match because it is a very important night. It's the first night of Nitro, and the bell rings. We've got representing New Japan Pro Wrestling by the announcer Justin yes. Thunder Liger versus Flying Brian Pillman. How how do you find that? Because I I like the fact that they mentioned representing new japan because you can see because at the time they were having their partnership together because um, for starcade it was a big new japan versus ww show that was that year mm. i love it i love cross-promotional wrestling anyway um I, you know and i suppose at the time new japan pro wrestling wasn't obviously in the american market or the western market very popular not like no. today where we've got the internet and you and i we watch the new japan shows and revolution pro wrestling our indie show that we go and see as very close contacts with New Japan. Um, it was, at the time, probably not a bigger deal as what we would find today, but I love it looking back on it and seeing that mm. they would have a partnership with that. And I don't know if Justin van der Leijer was very well received, not because he's a bad talent, because he's one that, he was one of the best. But I think a lot of the guys were like, okay, this guy looks like a Power Ranger. And then Brian Pillman come out, and he got a massive pop. But as the match developed, it was something that the American market hadn't seen. And it really mm-hmm. was well before its time. You know, this is 95. You wouldn't see nothing like this in the WWE. No, and not this, at all, no. This was awesome. And this was setting the whole... Because I associate WCW a lot with cruiserweight wrestling. And I think this being the opening match, which I didn't know about, was fantastic. This was a big surprise to see Thunder Liger. Yeah, because that's one of the reasons they wanted to have Jushin Liger for the first Dynamite against Brian Pillman Jr. to kind of have that sort of homage sort of thing to the original Nitro as well. Mm. What did you think of Brian you know, uh, Pillman's performance? I loved it. I thought this match was great. I think this match for me was my favourite of the all three matches. It was great, fast-paced action. It was what WCW did so well with the Cruiserweights, and you can see the genesis of that uh, to what it then became with the Rey Mysterios, the Eddie Guerreros of the world to everything else. And I just think it was a fantastic match. We had great submissions, uh, great flying action. And the way that Brian Pinman wins with that fantastic pin was good as well. It was, there was a couple of spots that I noticed went a bit wrong. There was a hurricane runner by flying Brian Pillman that went a bit wrong. Um, I'm not one to 
to say, oh, good match, bad match. You know, I can give my critiques on things, but I've got no, I'm not a professional wrestler. But did you find that watching Pillman wrestle this style, he looked a bit too heavy for it? He should have been wrestling a more slower paced um, brawler style. Or do you think the Flying Brian stuff worked? I, I, I think the Flying Brian Pillman stuff worked. But at the same time, he's wrestling someone like Liger who can make a bit like a, a Bret Hart, a broomstick look amazing kind of thing. So yeah. maybe if he's seen with someone else, he might not be, he might be suited for the brawler. But I think for me in this match, he worked really well with Liger. I think they both gelled really well. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do. I do. I agree with that. But I just think you look at the, the size of him and his weight. You know, there were some things I think Thunder Liger having to lift him up was a bit, he was a bit too heavy for that cruiserweight division. And as WCW progresses, in which we see it some of the pay per views, and Rey Mysterio comes and Billy Kidman, Psychosis, and like, you know, like Alex Wright, you start seeing these younger, lighter wrestlers go into more of the cruiserweight. That's where the cruiserweight for me really picks up. But for an opening match, Pillman's a massive draw. Mm-hmm. Thunder Liger is an absolute legend that people don't really know about and this really set the flavour I think for the first and night. also as well the people who would have been watching the first Nitro because they were more the hardcore fans as well as the people who might have been there they might have heard of Liger through all the, all the tapes and all the Super Juniors and all that kind of stuff and then finally see him live because also as well even though he got he got a slight reaction but then throughout the match Liger and both of them were getting an even bigger reaction and I think the cool thing that I really liked about the match as well was after the match was finished they both shook hands and they were both and they both cheered put their arms up together and stuff to celebrate yeah. with each other. I thought it was really good sportsmanship and stuff. Yeah, great to see on the first match, wasn't it? Yeah, definitely. Good match, lots of false finishes, which, again, wasn't really seen a lot back in the day. Um, Prillman won, great match, and it set the flavour. Um, okay, so... Did you notice as well this match was the only match that had replay of the action? All the other matches didn't, but I liked that because they were showing you all the big spots and all the big moves to kind of emphasise just mm. how... WCW is the only company in North America that has action like this. Yeah, you, you won't make, see make this it very different. No. Yeah, you will not see this anywhere else. Do not adjust your set. Loved all that. Yeah, this was great. This was well before its time. This was watching. It was good because WCW kind of fought in Thunder Liger and you had that New Japan feel to it. And mm-hmm. it was like the super, you know, the junior heavyweights. And it was awesome. I love junior heavyweights anyway. But well before its time. If I just saw this at the time, because it was the first time I've seen this show all the way through. I think if I watched this back in 95, I would have just been like, wow. Yeah. This is, this is their first match. This is incredible. Incredible. And then, <laughs> yeah. So after this match, we go on to uh, a promo of Hulk Hogan. Oh, you forgot the Sting promo. Oh, was there a Sting promo? Yeah. I thought it was the uh, Pastamania. No, it was a Sting promo because he was talking about the first Nitro in his match against Ric Flair, and then, then it went on to the Pastamania. Oh, of promo. course, of course, of course. Like, I'll let you carry that. So uh, what did Sting have to say? Uh, he was basically building up his match against Ric Flair and like, welcome to the first Nitro and how it's going to be different now on Monday nights. That's it. That's it. Yep, yep, yep. And then we go to the Pasta House with Eric Bischoff, don't we? Yes, and Hulk Hogan. I was laughing so <laughs> hard, so hard at this, you know. All my little Hulkamaniacs, they're reading their pasta, brother. And they got <laughs> their sauce on their pasta. And they know the Hulk Hogan. Oh, man. I was absolutely... I mean, I doubt that shop's there now. Nah. But Pasta Mania. Is there a T-shirt with that on? 
Uh, there probably is. If you go on like T Public or Pro Wrestling Tees, there probably will be one or somewhere. But yeah, man, they wanted to make Hulk Hogan into an even bigger star besides wrestling at the time. They wanted to do that. The mm-hmm. George Foreman Grill they wanted to do with Hulk Hogan. They wanted to do different types of food. Yeah, they wanted to make it into a huge, bold, multi-billion dollar conglomerate with the Hulk Hogan name. Um, yeah, there was even a protein shake with Hulk Hogan, protein bars. They wanted to do everything under the sun with Hulk Hogan. Yeah, brilliant. I, I just marked it. I just, I just laughed so much at this because he was going mad and there's kids in there and they're all eating their pasta and... Uh, <laughs> hulking up and Bischoff was getting excited and this little kid at the front he, he had pasta all over his face and it honestly it was just I've, I've seen the I've seen the meme with Hulk Hogan holding pasta yes I always wondered where it was from so when you're not expecting it and then Hulk Hogan standing in basically Subway just cutting a mean ass promo on a kid talking yes. about how he's going to be basically the big boss man oh man it While was awesome. pasta and how Pastor's yeah. going to give you the trade of prayers and eating of vitamins, brother. Yeah. And you look at modern like, bodybuilding now, people are like, avoid carbs, man. Like, don't eat carbs. They make you fat yeah. and hope for you. <laughs> I'll go, eat your pasta, brother. But, uh, yeah, that, that had me in stitches. Um, and then we actually go on to this thing in the match with Ric Flair, I believe, don't we? Yeah, we do, yeah. And I thought this match, uh, but before we go into the match, guess yeah. who came out to ringside? Go on, tell me. Lex Luger. Ooh. And there's a bit of a story behind this, I believe, as well, isn't there? There is, yes. Because at the time, he was actually uh, still with the WWF. Him and the WWF had a shake-the-hand agreement. He didn't sign an official contract, but then he ended up... Sting got him to speak to Eric Bischoff, and then Eric Bischoff gave him even a better contract, and then he appeared on uh, Nitro, and that's when Vince was like, no, fuck them. And that's when he made the proper contracts because of um, Lex Luger. Yeah, Lex Luger, man. I mean, they made a big thing about, like, what's he doing here, you know, and all this kind of thing, you know. It was um, it was cool to see Lex Luger. Back in the day, I never really rated Lex Luger. I loved him as part of the Wolfpack, NWO. I think that suited him. But uh, as soon as I saw Lex Luger appear, I must admit, it is star power, especially for 95. That's huge star power. And yeah, w- man, yeah. You know, WWE were kind of moving into like this, um, the new generation kind of thing, and they was kind of working towards the younger. And they were kind of just sort of the older generation. It was a little bit dust them under the carpet, and they were starting to come to WCW. So, but to see Lex Luger, I, I, I'm, the only thing about Lex Luger, what was that shirt he was wearing? It was a fashion in the nineties, mate. Hey, my mum's got the same exact thing she wears now to Sunday dinner. Do you know what I mean? It was like a blouse. Yeah. And, That's and, the thing then, man. When you watch... Oh, do you remember it used to be the Premier League years on Sky Sports and you used to watch them <laughs> and you used to watch the clothes and I'm like, how is it even fashion? But that was fashion in, in the day, man. It was fashion. It was... Yeah. I mean, but it was I mean, funny. The picture on the, we would have worn in those times. I would have been wearing an Orlando Magic basketball jersey, a pair of tracksuit bottoms that were really baggy and a pair of Reebok trainers. <laughs> like, that would have been me. And yeah. Got home and probably had to go on RuneScape um, and be watching Friends. That had been me in about 95. Yeah, playing RuneScape and uh, big baggy uh, T-shirts. Yeah. yeah. Been I've been well happy. Look at, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and a picture of Lex Luger wearing my mum's blouse in my bedroom. Been great. 
<laughs> oh man, you should do that. You should do that. Let's have a picture of your mum and against Lex Luger and have a comparison or something. You know, the, you know the pictures they kind of like mould into one. Yes. So my mum would have this mean ass mullet. <laughs> Where is yeah, there going? was something else as well. Like, why were people still having mullets in the nineties? Mullets were like unfashionable in like, the early nineties, not till ninety five. I know, I know. But it's Lex Luger, man. He, he he lives in the past. He's got his fanny pack and yeah. Oh, oh man, I can't yeah. wait to review a Lex Luger match where he can. The, his selling is the best. Ooh, at all. Yes. It's a bit like um. Do you remember WWF Warzone for the PlayStation and the N sixty four? When you got someone in submission. I I I ooh ooh ah ooh ah ooh ah ooh ah ooh ah he comes out during the match between Ric Flair and Sting, which Sting's, I think is a fantastic match. Yeah, man. Sting is over so much, man. Oh, it's unreal, isn't it? Yeah. And this was before he evolved into the Crow. I mean, how do yeah. you find the Surfer gimmick then? I really like the Surfer gimmick. I prefer the Crow one more, but I do love the Surfer gimmick. and It shows how good a babyface he is, that he's still cheered as much as he is, that people don't find him boring. Mm. I love Sting full stop. And I think him and Ric Flair working together is just magic. Um, and I love Sting the Surfer. Sting the Surfer. Sting the Surfer's cool. I prefer it like you. I prefer the Crow because it suited him. Because obviously the reason he became the Crow is because he got fed up with the way wrestling was going. And he felt like his fans turned against him. And everyone was always cheering, you know, cheering the bad guys and booing the good guys. And the whole, basically the whole how NWO kind of like made the bad guys the cool guys and that he hated it. So I kind of like what he stood for because him in that crow costume always reminded me of like he was kind of like fighting for tradition. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the surfer gimmick was cool. It was starting to lose its speed of it because obviously the 80s and early 90s were kind of like we were stepping away from that. And that, again, Vince McMahon as a visionary saw this because he started the next generation where the gimmicks kind of started to subside. Um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, man, he was over. So was Ric Flair. Yeah, man, yeah, Ric Flair was so over. But also as well, one thing I love, I love about this match is even they were doing one or two different moves with the, if you notice, Sting was using a lot of the press slam or the sort of top rope press slam when Ric Flair tried to do the, you know, his top rope chop. It still worked. I was still yeah. invested in the match the whole way through. I just think it just shows how good these two are to make such a, not a simple match, but you know what I mean, work so well. Yeah. Less is more. Yeah. You know, you don't see... Um, I mean, you compare it to like modern-day wrestling or even like New Japan Pro. Um, New Japan Pro has kind of stepped away and they've started going a little bit more high-risk. But you watch like AEW now and it, like the main... like the, You know what I mean? How many Canadian destroyers do you see gold... Like Dustin Rolls do? Like, you know, like gold dust. And you don't need to do that. If you can tell a match and you can tell a story like Ric Flair can... Ric Flair can sell... Sand to a Arab, you know, and Sting can sell ice to an Eskimo. And when you've got these two professionals telling the story, you know, Ric Flair's only got to do one thing: look at the roll out to the ring, go up to the crowd, ah, get away from me, from and the crowd start booing him. And Sting's only got to put him in a headlock and go, whoa, and the crowd's like, yeah, like it, it just works. Less is more, and I think that when you look at Ric Flair and Sting, and, and I think we're going to see this through this series, we're going to see Ric Flair and Sting work together. It's always magic. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like you said, press slam, press slam, press slam. Crowd is still behind it. It's cool. It works. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and Sting has some great baby face fire as well. 
yeah. like when he's selling and then he's like gets up and you can and i love how flair just sells everything for sting because he makes sting look the biggest baby face in the world the way yeah. he sells stuff and way when sting was like hulking up and you can see uh rick flair going like fuck i'm screwed yeah, no now. no drops to his knees and yes rick flair front bump and Ric Flair, oh, he was the greatest professional wrestler, I think, of all time. He really was. I think he was great. He still is great. He's a lovely... He's just... He's professional wrestling, Ric Flair. Mm. And I honestly think if Ric Flair was in good health, Sting should have wrestled Ric Flair at Mania rather than Triple H. I reckon that would have been awesome. Definitely, man. That would have been really, really good. Yeah. Uh, then you had Arn Anderson come out as well. Yeah, yeah. They made a big, a big deal about Arn, didn't they? Yeah, because at this time, the Four Horsemen were having sort of like a falling out kind of like, because at this time they were going to build up to a match, which I can't remember if it was at Full Brawl, the following pay-per-view, Halloween Havoc, where um, Arn Anderson and Ric Flair have a match against each other. Oh, okay. Yeah, one story arc was there, because obviously I didn't see the Saturday night stuff before this show, Um, but Arn Anderson got a big pop. Yeah, he did, yeah, because this was when he was... Because at the time, he was going, like, I hate you, Ric Flair, and then started to drift away from the Four Horsemen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, did you like the way that the match ended where you had um, Ric Flair using Brett's rope uh, for leverage when he had Sting in the um, pickable leg lock? And yeah. then you had Arn Anson come into the ring, beat up Ric Flair, and you think Sting's going to be... Then Sting's like, is he going to beat me up? And then he was like, no. And then him and um rick flair and Arn Anderson then start just attacking each other and fighting each other as well yeah it worked. i thought that was great it was so good yeah it definitely worked definitely definitely worked and it didn't ruin the story either like no not at all it, it's the first nitro you don't need clear-cut winners you could just you get that at the end of the show but for this you need some kind of story arc and i think that worked quite well give you something to look forward to the following week on nitro so, yeah, it worked. I, I really enjoyed the match. And to be honest, watching Ric Flair and Sting in their prime at such a young age, I was so invested in this match. And I think when you look at the crowd, so if you was there and you had no idea what wrestling was, you already had Justin Funderliger and, like, Brian Pillman. You think, oh, this is really, like, super high-flying stuff. And then Ric Flair and Sting come out, and you think, who are these two? And it's mm-hmm. a completely different match. So it shows you so different, two different flavours of what's to come so yeah. i think it's really cleverly booked really cleverly booked definitely man i, I definitely agree with you there because i think it show it basically when they go on to future nitros and even pay-per-views it's showing you what wcw is known for the amazing cruiserweight division and the legends and the stars of the rip flares and the stings of the world you know yeah yeah but it also from like a business perspective like i said the first match is a high flyer match there's only three matches tonight, isn't there? Yeah. And, and I think as well, the time flows so quickly as well. Because oh. I think, good thing about it being 45 minutes, but the time flew so quickly. Yeah, it did. It really, really did. I really, really, really enjoyed watching this. And I think for the for the podcasting people that are listening to us, when you when you hit, listen to this podcast, definitely chuck it on after you've seen it, just to get your perspective on what we're seeing. Mm. It showed you the high fly New Japan style that I was going for. Then it showed you a tactical wrestling match with a really good storyline arc. And then the main event, which we'll discuss in a minute, was just like the star power. Mm. Uh, look at us, which is where the big boys play. You know, and it was such a good, well-balanced show. I got really excited watching this. Really, really, really excited. Yeah, um, me too, man. I thought, I thought you, it was great. 
the it way was. it was paced. I think it was paced in a, the perfect the perfect way. Yeah, I've made a note here as I put in speech brackets. Um, can tell they are both having fun. Like you can tell Ric Flair and Sting. Like when Sting's like in control, he's got this massive smile on his face, and when Ric Flair's selling, you can tell he's having fun selling because they trust each other because of obviously they. They had like an hour match years and years and years ago. I think it's when Sting won his first WCW Heavyweight Championship or mm-hmm. whatever it was. Yeah. And they love each other literally as brothers and they trust each other like brothers. Yeah, because they... Fun. Yeah, because they had, when we look at it for the last episode, they had the last ever match on Nitro as well. Yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah. Very fitting. Very fitting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Ryan Anderson shows up. I've got my next note here is Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. Basically, Scott Norton comes out and squares up to Eric Bischoff and Michael, Steve McMichael. Cause he wants that. Yeah. yeah. And then Macho Man comes out to then challenge Norton. He accepts, but then Macho wants him to get into the ring. But Bischoff's like, no, security, security, security. So yeah. I quite like this because they're building up a new star, a new wrestler in, for the company, but in a quite a different way as well. Yeah. Because you never really saw this at the time. No, he didn't. But it introduced... Um... Yeah, so he was getting the new talent coming in, and you had the little bit of flavour of Randy Savage. And again, Randy Savage getting that crowd popping, kept looking up at all the um, like all the um, conveyor belts and everyone up in the top of the shopping centre. He's going, oh yeah, they were going, yeah, they were shouting back, and you know, Bischoff's the tiny little guy getting thrown around, sort of with his little microphone, little geeky kind of kid. Loved it. It was so good. You want to go now, then, brother? You know, it was. Oh, man, it was awesome. Absolutely it was, man, awesome. so awesome, man. I loved it. And yeah. it just shows you just how popular Macho Man is as well. For something uh, that's more of like a thing, he was still cheered and so over and stuff as well. Because he was stuck on commentary back at back at New York, wasn't he? WWF at this yeah. point. That's when he came over to WCW because of that, you know? Yeah, because yeah. uh, Vincent Mann loved Macho because when he left, Vincent Mann never mentions any thing of wrestlers going but he mentioned um macho man going yeah he did yeah yeah so a bit of star power again but like you said building up scott norton um Mm -hmm. made it also again it didn't feel cartoony it felt like quite a real confrontation yeah something different what the wwf were doing um yeah raw it was on the you know he was on the camera and the camera was bouncing around because the cameraman was getting pushed about and the angles and everything. It just felt like a different production to the WWF. Um, next thing I've got written down is the Sabu promo. Yes. Now, I've never done drugs. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> but I felt like I had watching this. And do you know what I mean? All the colours, very nice. Yes. Yeah, Sabu's coming and all this kind of stuff. And it was the colour of the screen. And it was really, really strange. Now, was that footage, ECW footage? No, I think it was early WCW or, or another promotion because I know Bischoff and Heyman hate each other so I know it would would never have been the, uh, ECW footage yeah I didn't know Sabu was even part of WCW at this yeah point. he only appeared for like one or two shows I think and then he went back to ECW again ah so that didn't work out too well then nah not really nah so yeah I've got Sabu promo felt like I was taking drugs lol I, I, I really like this promo video because it's showing you what Sabu's known for and how different he is compared to everyone else as well. Yeah. Showing you his homicidal, suicidal, genocidal side of what he is and all his different moves and showing you his big spots as well. So when people see him, they're like, oh my God, it's, he's the cra- he's the crazy hardcore guy kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And again, it, it felt a bit like WCW, even though he'd left ECW, were doing cross-promotional work again. He'd mm-hmm. already done Thunder Liger, but most people would associate Sabu as an ECW guy. So, like, oh, God, they've got ECW guys coming in, plus these New Japan guys, plus these cruiserweights, plus these legends. Again, more flavour. Um, and then we cut to Mean Gene in the ring, announcing the uh, Harley Davidson bike winner. Yep. Um, and that is literally all we've done all night. I know. Oh, he did something else later on. Yes, he yes. did. Yes, he did at the end. But um, Mean by God, woo, Jing, was in the ring announcing some dude won the motorbike. And that was it. Um, nice to see Mean Gene. Again, to the old school wrestling fans, more flavour. They're going, oh, Mean Gene's now part of this WCW Nitro. So there have been a lot of eyes on this show mm. where they might not have been watching on Saturdays on TNN, T- TNS, whatever it was. This is the TNT show. So, yeah, that was cool to see Mean Gene. Bless him. Definitely, man. Then he had a Mr. Wall Street promo. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of this promo? Uh, I didn't find it that bad. It felt like very much like a IRS, uh, an IRS promo. He was just basically now his new character. Yeah, I've got... Um... I've, I've actually labelled this the new generation promo because he takes a stab at the new generation and he says about, um, you know, like they best pay their taxes because I'm Mr. Wall Street and the new generation better watch out. Mm-hmm. I felt like this promo was a little bit of a stab to the WWF. Um, don't know what your take on that is. You might have to watch it again just to keep that in the back uh, of your head. I, I, can, I, can, I could definitely tell there were some references to his old character in the WF. There were definitely, yeah. He talks about tax paying, paying their taxes and stuff like that. So I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, um, did he get a big push? Can't remember too much, man. I, I don't remember he ever got a really big push, but they got him because he was an old WWF guy. You know, yeah. and and yeah. they were kind of like at the time, if we can get anyone away from Vince to help us out, they would as well. Yeah, just the sheer fact of it's a bit like what's happening now. Excuse me, with AEW, you know, people are leaving the WWE and they're jumping to AEW, and people are criticising AEW for like taking so much talent from the pool of the WWE. I mean, you look at John Moxley, Brody Lee, they're champions in their company. You know, it's like well and MJF lost his title shot against Moxley, and they're using all the ex-WWF guys. I don't. I think that in the 95 Nitro, do you feel that WCW were literally just taking any of the big names they could? Yeah, because they wanted more eyeballs on, on, on their screens. You know, yeah. That's why the following year they got um, Hall and Nash, because they knew, oh, big WF guys, they'll get a load of more eyeballs on, on our screen. Yeah, you know, like butts, like when um, Tony Giovanni said, "Oh, that will put a lot of butts in seats." You know, it's yeah. like that's what they want. They want viewers to watch their show. Yeah, I mean, nowadays the um, TV ratings are the biggest things that most people care about now. Yeah, due to all the um, all the like TV stuff you can get as well. Like the amount of money that WWE get is all from their TV rights deals. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, 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 yeah. That merch and stuff like that, but yeah. I mean, that's the reason why this year is going to be the most profitable year ever, due to the fact of um, all the money that they're getting from TV rights. Mm. Yeah, exactly. You know, and the Saudi money and all this horrible stuff that they do. Like this, uh, yeah. I mean, that's uh, one of the reasons why Nitro ended up um, ending is because the ratings were so low. And the guy who ended up taking over from TNT 
merging it with um, AOL, didn't really like wrestling, saw how the ratings were and saw how much money it was losing, decided to get rid of it. Where I think if WCW was making a load of money and like they are at this time and then through from 96 to mid-98 um, or early-98, uh, they would have still been around. Yeah, I do. I do. There's a theory, and I think it was Dave Meltzer said that if WCW was to hold on for another two years, they would have financially been okay. Yeah. Um, and then no one wanted to buy them because they didn't have a TV. Yeah. Same with, EC, same with ECW. ECW couldn't get a TV uh, company after they lost TNN when they went to um, Raw, and they were out of business in less than a year. Mm. TV is so important nowadays to wrestling. It is. It is. It is. Even though you've got your multimedia, you've got your YouTube stuff. I mean, look at the NWA Power. Their show cancelled, didn't it? Uh, ne- yeah, d- nearly. They're they're in a lot of trouble as well. Ring of Honor are, are in a bit of trouble, but they're owned by Sinclair, so they, sh- they should be all right. But yeah. Mm. But again, I think AEW are going to pick up some pieces here because I know we're talking about WCW, but there's just so many ties between them both being TNT. You know, you looked at the women's championship match at um, All Out. You know, it was um, Ronda, what's her name? Ronda Vega. She's the NWA world champion for the women at NWA. But they had the NWA championship, you know, champion on AEW TV. And I honestly think when you look at the elite and you've got Marty Scroll in charge of Ring of Honor booking, there's going to be some cross promotional work with Ring of Honor and AEW. So I think people are going to be safe and secure. Um, mm. But yeah, anyway, coming back to WCW, um, we're going on to our main event now. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we've got, I'll let you introduce the match. Uh, we have Big Bubba Rogers versus Hulk Hogan. Hulk okay. Hogan, I noticed, was over like he always has been, but you can still tell that there was a, a few boos. But Big Bubba Rogers was so good, man. He was yeah, such he was. a good, it was such a good big man. Yeah, good foil for Hogan as well. Um, yeah, oh, massive. Because they, they, the two of them are like really good friends, and that's why he came into WCW at the time, because Hulk Hogan was like, come on then, guys, let's bring all my mates in. Yeah, that's it. You know. Yeah, that's it. I mean, he got the pay, he got the main event slot with Hogan. I mean, that's someone said to you, do you want to join the wrestling promotion? Yeah, what you got for me? The first ever show we're doing, you're going up against Hulk Hogan in the main event. Oh, uh, yeah, I don't know. Okay. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I'll have a look at that. Um, yeah, Big Bubba, <laughs> Buffy the Brain Hayden. Apparently, Bubba used to be a prison guard. I <laughs> love this line. Oh, God, Bobby. It was such a... Oh, I, I laughed. I, it made me pop. Probably made me pop. Um, good match. Typical Hogan versus, um, you know, Hill versus, you know. But Hogan did show slight tendencies to heelism. Did you yeah. see it? Like yeah, because at, 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 at this time he was having that feud with the Dungeon of Doom, and uh, and the, he, I can't remember if it was recently or it happens after this where they put some weird spell or curse on him, and he decided to become more heel. You know, just he was starting to wear more black and stuff. And when we review Halloween Havoc, he actually wears black for when he wrestles as well. So it's starting mm. to kind of build in that sort of heelness to Hulk Hogan. Mm. Yeah, it's pretty cool. It's also realism, isn't it? They're trying to... Yeah. It's weird because obviously WWE wanted to be like this more realistic show and step away from the cartoony world. But deep down, Hulk Hogan was the ultimate cartoon character. Yes. And he was I mean, the over. 
I mean, the, I mean, the faction that he was wrestling against, the Dungeon of Doom, that is the most cartoony thing that WCW had. It was, yeah. And it suited Hogan, didn't it? Yes. Um, it was an all right match. I mean, it was a typical big man kind of match. The crowd were well into it. Um, I mean, as soon as his music hit, even though it's the first time like a lot of people might have heard this music, because it wasn't his traditional WWF intro theme, it still had that American Patriot Yes. Uh, overdrive guitar. He's a born and raised in the USA. Which one's your favourite? We're real American or American made? I, I'm. I've always been, I, I love real American. Real American to me is Hulk Hogan, but I do listen to American Made, and I still get that same kind of like feeling. And I think it was a very good song for him. The Jimi Hendrix thing's all right. But to me, nah, just give me American, you know, real American. Yeah. You know, but... Uh, Definitely, man. Yeah, it was an all right match, wasn't it? It was nothing to yeah. write home about. But, um, yeah, like you said, there was, Hogan was having a feud with the Dungeon of Doom. Mm-hmm. And yeah, because yeah, uh, yeah. they came out after the match because Hulk Hogan won with his uh, leg drop and then the Dungeon of Doom came out to attack Hogan and then you had Sting come out and then you had Luger helping Hogan. He's for the Dungeon of Doom, who were the former Earthquake, the former Brucious Beefcake, Kevin Sullivan, and I think Kamala was there as well. Yeah. Yep. So that was, that was another thing. Did you hear they say, Who's this Kamala? And Bobby Hoonan went, Apparently, he's from Uganda. And <laughs> on the way he said it, oh my God, I popped again. I, I love Bobby Hoonan. Yeah, so these sort of, the, basically, the Motley crew come out to attack Hogan. Like you said, Luger came out, Sting came out clear the ring, crowd are going crazy, and then the same road speech. I love this speech. This is probably one of the best things Lex Luger's ever ever done. Mm, definitely, I man. Their was great with each other. Oh, mate. Lex Luger puts over the WCW championship and says, this is the real Helderweight champion. This is, you know, we've been down the same roads and all this kind of thing. And I said, this is where, you know, when Hogan, when Hogan basically buries WWF and says, you know, this is where, you know, well, I've been down them roads, brother. You haven't got to prove anything to me. This is where the big boys play. We're not playing with kids. We're playing with men. You know, this really did set a precedent for the WCW, didn't it? Mm. And it was building up their match next week as well for the, yeah. for the championship. The yeah. Big gold. Yeah. But I liked it because it was kind of like you could tell they hated each other, but Hogan had enough respect and, you know, I will give you your title shot and you ain't got to prove nothing, but they still hated each other. Mm. I loved it. That. Was, it, was, it was like a, it was a great baby face versus baby face match, but you can tell there was that hatred between the two of them. Yeah. And it was kind of making, in a sense, Luger as the bona fide heel because of the way that he came into it and the way that he challenged Hogan for the championship as well and then you had Hogan being like I respect you and I'll give you the championship match but you can it was it was I think it was great booking it was it really was. it was great yeah and I think that is a difference when you say to guys especially of that era okay like here's a bullet point we want you to put over the WCW championship we want you to partially bury the WWF and say this is where the big boys play and you haven't got to prove yourself, but you get a title shot, but I want you to hate each other. And it just worked. I mean, mm-hmm. Lex Luger, oh, I think, had so much... This is, he worked in the WWF, and I was really trying to push him, and Hogan left, you know, the Lex Express, and he had no fire in his belly. 
And then he'd done this one show on WCW and he had so much fire in his promo. I actually yeah. got excited. I, put, I turned it off and I was like, I want to know what happens. Because like, yeah. really like, yeah, the, thing, the thing was, if they uh, pulled the trigger at SummerSlam 93, he would have been as big as Hogan. Because at that time he was over and then Survivor Series 93 came up and Undertaker got, got a bigger reaction than Luger did. And then in, in the Royal Rumble 94, Brett had a bigger reaction. That's when they went to Brett instead. Yes. Lex could have been huge. Yeah. But I, I think as well, his backstageness and how much of a, not a dick he was and how sort of like unpersonable he was as he once has he supposed to be, his big bonafide baby face didn't really help him where with Brett is and stuff. Yeah. 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 And to be honest, he was, he, he was a bit like Hogan, but Hogan was a better worker. Like if you look at Hogan's stuff in New Japan, he was better than Lex. You know, mm. he actually wrestled. He 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 very he dumbed himself down a bit when he wrestled in America. But if you see him wrestle in New Japan, he's actually got loads of stuff. He bangs out small packages and figure four leg locks and you uh, know, like Yeah. He, he was doesn't... trained by a really big Japanese legend when he got into the wrestling business. But he but same with a thing of Hulk Hogan, he's clever. Because he knows that if I don't do much, I will still get over than I would do yeah. doing all the moves. And that's when he knows when he's in Japan, we mentioned in a, in a promo when he was a WF champion at the time. Like he knows when he's in Japan, how he has to put on a match because he knows that's how in Japan they respect you for the moves, not the more theatrical stuff and that kind of yeah. thing as well. Yeah, he knows how to wrestle to an audience, basically. And same with Eddie Guerrero. He could go out and listen outside the curtain and he goes, okay, there's a lot of men here tonight. They want a more of a gruesome fight. When it was women, he'd be a bit more showboasty. And on the, yes. you know, it, 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 it's just signs of classic professional wrestling. You know, not to sound like Jim Cornette, but the flips and dives they do get boring. There's a there's a place and a time for them, and too much of anything's a bad thing. I mean, but, the super kicks become too much. The Canadian Destroyer is like that was a move I used to love. Now I'm like. Mm, bored of it now. Yeah, it's just one of those things. They they do something too much and it just loses its luster. Yeah, Dustin I mean, Rhodes needs to stop using it. It does my head in. I mean, that's why the hell in a cell. I don't think has, has lost its luster. Same with TLCs because yeah. they do it far too much. Yeah. Where when it was first, when you first heard the match, I'm like, oh my god, that's why when they announced it for Mania, it's more cool because it's oh, it's not just we're having a pay per view called this name. We must have this match. Yeah, I hate you know? that. I hate that. And I've heard it on other podcasts, you know, Wrestle Talk said about it as well. You know, oh, it's Hell in the Cells, the next pay-per-view. That must mean our next match is a Hell in the Cell match. And you think, yeah, you know, when the first Hell in the Cell match happened, or even the second one, it was like, well, you know how bad it was when the first one with Shawn Michaels and Undertaker, and you thought to yourself, this is how you end a feud. Mm -hmm. This is the pinnacle of hatred. These people want to kill each other. The only way we can settle this is a hell in the cell match. A bit like the Sean and uh, a bit sorry, like Steve Austin and Triple H in that three stages of hell just before Mania Seventeen, mm-hmm. uh, two thousand and one, No Way Out. And yeah, it was, was. Yeah, you know, you look at that. The match was over. Them two did never. I don't think they ever touched each other after that match until Austin retired. No, they didn't. No, no, because they ended up being the two man power trip, and then they ended up. Big, being on the same side as both baby faces when she came back in 2002. So, yeah, they never touch each other no. again. No, but what a way to finish a feud. Mm-hmm. Three stages of hell. It was brilliant. Uh, you never see them much nowadays, which is I've, why if they ever do one again, it will still have that same luster to it because they never do them. 
Yeah, they just don't do them, do they? I mean, they do. Um, you still get your two out of three falls matches, but you don't get three stages of hell. It's not no. PG now, is it? I mean, you couldn't do it. I mean, I don't think you can do a real Hell in the Cell match in the PG era. No, no, I mean, not like it was in the 90s, but then at, uh, but then at that time, WWF were in the middle of a war, like we're talking about now with WCW versus WWF, and they did things that they had to do to get more eyes on them. Yeah, you know? and I suppose this is yeah, why we're here. that's why in um, 97, Vince McMahon worked a lot with Chip Away and mentioned Chip Away a lot because he was like, shit, I need people to help me against WCW and then he ended up doing something he would never do and working with other companies. Yeah. Yeah. Where the sole purpose of being a promoter was to be the monopoly and just overtake everyone in America, then overtake the world, you know, and mm-hmm. he started to realise I need some help. But um yeah. So that was WCW Nitro edition mm-hmm. one, September fourth, ninety five. I mean, I enjoyed the show and I think it's set up set up nicely moving forwards yeah definitely uh, man. I, thought, I thought i thought for a first edition of a show this was very well done i loved the amount of length as well only being an hour was great yeah i uh, loved the three matches because they all showed you what wwe does so well the way it flowed was really good having a match and a promo then a match and a promo and then you had after the third match the confrontation and you had the announcers signing us out letting us know next week is going to be the big match to show you for the following week i i, I think i think it was a perfect debut it was. I, I think it was i think it was well i think it was great yeah me too really enjoyed it but i mean this is going to set us up so what would be our first pay-per-view we're going to review then our first pay-per-view we're going to be reviewing is going to be full brawl which was on september the 17th which had the Dungeon of Doom match between Hulk Hogan, Lex Luger, Randy Savage and Sting versus a Dungeon of Doom consisting of Kamala, Meng, Shark and the Zodiac. Right, okay. So that's going to be our first. So we're going to use this today as like a pilot show and uh, just introduce it. But um, that's going to be basically episode one of uh, the good, the bad and the Bischoff. Look yes. forward to that. <laughs> See how this goes. I've never seen it before, so it's going to be like a brand new show to me. I mean, I, I've never seen this before, but I know of the show because um, my favourite um, set of Irish lads, OSW Review, have, have reviewed this show. Yeah. And I know it because of that, so I'm looking forward to watching it for myself to be like, oh my, see how this show actually is. Awesome. Well, we, uh, yeah, this is the start of a beautiful thing, Mark, and uh, it's going to be fun. It's all going to be new to me, so... Uh, I am stoked for this. Yeah, me too, man. I'm completely stoked as well, dude. And then the and then in a month afterwards is the one I'm really excited for, Halloween Havoc, which has yeah. the Yeti. Oh, mate, we have got some story we, we, we've got, we've got some bangers to go through, dude. We've got some pure <laughs> bangers. I cannot wait. It's going to be fucking awesome, man. Oh. Watching some of these shows, I'm just I'm just most excited for the absolute just pure bollocks. Yeah, yeah so that's the one I'm most excited about because I just think it'll just be funny. I'm looking forward to some Yeti bollocks. Yes. <laughs> it's going to be Yeti correct, bollocks man. on toast. Thank you very much, WCW. Indeed, my man. And then we've also got World War Three, and then Starcade in, in December. So we've got... And then they start doing pretty much a pay-per-view every month after that. Okay. And that's where we really get into the flow a bit. What we're trying to do is... Um, I don't know if we can... I suppose we can. Is We can kind of see... You can usually see story arcs between pay-per-views, but what I might do is just dive into the nitros just yeah. to see if I can get snippets of um, 
Yeah, because you could do that and then make notes, and then you can, and then I'll just watch a pay per view, and then yeah, that'd be a great idea. Yeah, see if we can do something like that. We'll, we'll work on the final details after the paper, after this podcast. But listeners, you're in for a treat. So fantastic. yeah, fantastic. So that was our pilot episode, guys, of WCW: The Good, The Bad, and The Bischoff. Let us know in the comments below. We think about the first ever night show and what other memories you have of WCW too. Uh, Richie, my man, anything you want to plug at all before we plug our normal stuff and the big announcement I made on Facebook, but I haven't announced it on the podcast yet. Okay. Um... Anything to announce? No, just obviously you can follow me on um, Richard Filmer One on Twitter, as well as obviously all you know your wrestling stuff is on there as well. I use that as my platform for my wrestling media. Um, no, and just uh, say this is the start of something very exciting and something really fresh. So uh, tell your friends and family, and you know if you're at work, chuck it in your ears. If you're driving, chuck the podcast on. That's what I do. Check it out, man. It's going to be fun. It's going to be a wild ride. It was going to be a massive world. What? Yes, a massive. Ah, oh, yeah, dude. We could have recorded. Ah, oh, man. If only we did it earlier, we could have re- reviewed that with um, Scotty Pippen. No, Dennis, Dennis Rodman. Sorry, Dennis Rodman. Yeah. I mean, yeah. to be fair, we stick to like the week by week by week. We will, we will chuck in some Bono episodes, some fun stuff. Oh, yeah, definitely, man. Some good old Brucey bonuses, as it were. <laughs> yep. Yeah, man. That, that, that's another OSW thing as well, boss. Hey. Bruce bonus. Yeah. Bruce. Brucey. Brucey. Oh. Rest in peace as well, Bruce. Yeah, yeah. Rest in peace, yeah, Bruce. Yeah. So the big announcement is, boss, is we're now on T Public. Yeah. Yeah. So our NWO inspired um, no wrestling T-shirt is on there. I um, don't think we've sold any yet, but if we keep on pushing it and hope we get more fans, then people yeah. will buy it. Yeah, yeah. How much is it on there? Uh, at the moment, about twelve quid. Oh, just and and much. and they can also as well buy it as like a phone case and other stuff as well because the cool thing about tea public is you upload an image that you want to use for for items and they literally give you a chance to do other stuff as well yeah oh cool well i'll check it out and i'll put it on my uh put it on the uh, twitter account and yeah follow us on there and you know all the other platforms and yeah buy a t-shirt you know buy a t- buy a t-shirt it'd be great your nana love it Yes, she will, won't she, for sure. <laughs> and don't forget, guys, we are also on all the different social medias and podcasting networks. Like, we're on so much stuff now, dude. Yeah. yeah. We are branching out, brother. We are indeed. And don't forget us to follow us and t- like us and whatnot on YouTube as well. Yeah, yeah. Check us out, man. We're just a couple of guys chatting shit about pro wrestling. It can't be bad, can it? No, nah, not at all, man. It's good stuff, man. Good, good yeah. stuff. It is. Yes, and that was No Wrestling, guys. We've been amazing hosts, as always. Your boys, Mark Sylvester and Richie Fulmer. Thank you, Mark. Anything you uh, want to say to our lovely audience before you go? Um, WCW. Peace. <laughs> Pass the mania, brother. <laughs> Woo! Woo! My God, me, Gene. Woo! <laughs> deny. <laughs> you can't deny. <laughs> Let me tell you something, Mean Gene. When you're eating pasta, brother, and you get that fire in your belly, brother, and you have to run to the toilet and take a big shit, and you look down and you see that pasta shit, you know you're watching WCW, brother.